They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches, throw my time and come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like bolt in the race, leave the track, flan bay, it's the open run. It's not in my nature now to watch award shows. When it was part of my daily business, working in the music industry, I did. Sometimes I wondered why. Oftentimes, you see, because music is subjective, art is subjective. I wondered about the politics. It's a part of different committees and boards, both for the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, as well as the Canadian Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Naris and Cars. And I was looking at all the things online, you know, you check out what's happening on these rough interweb streets. And I see that Killer Mike swept the rap awards, all three of them. And I was reminded of the greatest day in pop music. At least I think that's the name of the documentary. Just watched this past weekend. You learn a lot about the insecurities of these artists and things that make them uncomfortable and people you never thought. You just things about artists you don't see. It's almost like when you watch an athlete, you see them for three hours. You don't see the 10,000 hours they put in before those three hours you see them. And that's kind of the same way with our artists. We revered them in a different way. And back in 1985, when they were making We Are The World, we didn't have social media. We didn't have access like we have today. I can see what Beyonce ate for breakfast today on IG if she so chooses to post that. I can see that she and Jay-Z were in Capri with their daughter and their other children. Like, I, I can see that. That didn't happen back then. And the family with the most Grammys in the history of the whole awards show showed up and showed out. And that was a big deal. Jay-Z talking about showing up. 90% of what you do in this life is just showing up, really. And that was poignant, for sure. It was also encouraging to see him do the reverse Will Smith and step up for his wife in this moment. Or was it the new Kanye? Yo, I love Taylor Swift, but what's that ODB? Whatever the case is. Said, so, yeah, she's won the most Grammys of any artist ever. Never won the album of the year. Ever since the late 80s, when they first recognized rap as a category in the Grammys, and they boycotted. For years, these guys have been saying they're going to boycott this, boycott that. But yeah, maybe showing up. Maybe showing up in force. I mean, the decisions have already been made, but what is that going to do? Show it up. I don't know. I was amused and amazed and in awe of the accomplishments of Killer Mike winning three and then being arrested right after. They knew where he was. They knew what they were doing when they did it. They could have arrested him earlier in the day. They could have arrested him earlier in the week. And apparently it's some sort of misdemeanor, but whatever the case might be, the minute you're shining, they want to take your goal away. I got it. And I don't know if Jay-Z got up on stage with his daughter and... You know, the beehive is real and stood up for his wife in a way that was for optics sake or it has some real substance behind it. But the fallacy of not caring is a funny thing to me. We don't care about the Grammys, but we want awards. Everyone wants to be recognized for the work that they do. 
part of the reason I got out of the game is because I didn't want to play it. Did I want to be recognized for my work? Yeah. Does it help that people who know recognize that work? 100%. I don't recall getting awards or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I don't know if platinum and gold plaques count as that or just an acknowledgement of the achievement that I was a part of. Sometimes that's good enough for me. And when I look back on my life knowing that I have more past and future, do those things bother me now? Probably not. I think about the late Carl Weathers, bless the dead, just passed away, and I'm watching him do commercials with Gronk. And I didn't realize until I looked into his background how important he was to a lot of people. There were no bad words about Carl Weathers. He seemed to care. There's no fallacy of not caring around him. Sylvester Stallone made an IG post in front of a very nice painting depicting those two throwing a punch at the same time. I think that was at the end of Rocky II. And I was a big Rocky fan back in the day. You know, the fish out of water story, the lucky guy, you know, got the break and he beats the heavyweight champion. It could never really happen. Joe Buckner, the late great Muhammad Ali, blessed that to both of them, wore the, the canvas for Sylvester Stallone to write this, but he needed a proper foil. He needed someone who could evoke Ali without trying to be Ali, and Carl Weathers sculpted like a god, Apollo. It just fit. Apollo Creed. That was him. He was more than just Apollo Creed. If you know anything about his characters, he was Chubbs, the golf pro that lost his hand to an alligator in Happy Gilmore, and he had some comedic chops. Of course, he did his thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Predator movies, and also as Action Jackson. They called it neo black exploitation. I hate when they segregate art like that. I really do. I shouldn't say hate. I just couldn't stand it. And I say all this to say is that there's nothing wrong with having your ambitions magnified by receiving awards, by receiving accolades, big or small. Sometimes it's just a simple acknowledgement on social media. Hey, man, I grew up watching this. I appreciate you still talking about it. Sometimes those can be your Grammys, too. Those can be your Oscars. Those can be the accolades. So rest well on your journey, Carl Weathers. And congratulations to all the winners at the Grammys last night. No matter who they look like, in the words of the great and immortal Negro poet Issa Rae, I'm rooting for everybody black, especially during Black History Month. Black History A-Day here on the podcast where basketball and life are one. Welcome to the open run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at One Neighborhood. One Neighborhood. Come to a neighborhood near you very, very soon. I can be found across these rough interweb streets at W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter. Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found. You know who does care? The SEC and the Big Ten. They care about creating a new power dynamic that could quite possibly eliminate the NCAA, and their enforcement arm. Even Ricky Three Stacks, who's seen his fair share of enforcement from the NCAA, said, it's a joke today. If the kids want to transfer his free agency, it is what it is. You can't stop. The horse is out of the barn. If the Big Ten and the SEC, two of the most powerful and rich conferences in the country, say, yeah, we don't need the NCAA anymore. We'll police ourselves. It's over with the NCAA. They're in the midst of lawsuits right now from schools, Tennessee, in Virginia, talking about NIL and policing somebody else's money, don't pat pockets. You know where they come from. It's only a problem when someone else is making the money and you're not making it. And you're still making money, so what's the issue? But greed is a funny thing, man. Very, very funny thing. 
I wish all the best to all the young athletes, all the free agents, like all the kids who left Washington the minute that their coach left there after they lost to Go Blue all day, every day, the University of Michigan in the national championship game. Their roster's been gutted. The university is going to find other players to play there, but it won't be the same. And somebody feels sorry for the university. The university prints money. Stop playing. You know who else is printing money? The point guard class from the 2018 NBA draft. I'm talking about Luca Lamar. That's with two R's. Shea Gilgis, Alexander. Even Colin Sexton up there in Utah doing his thing. Rayford Trey Young, 25 and 10 on average. He's done that two times and not been an all-star. What's the deal down there? There have been teams and players with worse records that made the all-star team, including Trey one year. But that's crazy that he's averaging like 27 points and 11 assists. Not an all-star? His votes were right up there with everyone else's. But hey, when the media counts more than the fans for a fun game and you're affecting people's money and clauses in their contract, that's a lot of control. And then Jalen Brunson, who is in that same class. Is it a change in the guard? Yeah, it looks like it. These guards are scoring, they're assisting, and we'll talk about another scoring and assisting guard later on with our special guest on the podcast, but I'm looking around and seeing these guards, I we are in very good hands in the NBA. Matter of fact, one of the top point guards who ever have played this game, Jason Frederick Kidd, exclaimed about his man, Luca Lamar, that he is greater than the franchise's greatest player, Dirk Werner Nowitzki. He says, I played with Dirk. I'm watching this kid do what he does every night. He's only in his sixth year, 24 years old. Imagine what he's going to do in the next five, six, seven years when he gets into his physical prime. He could have a point. These years are going to mean a lot. He says he's going to win multiple MVPs, multiple championships. Okay, well, there's time for sure. But there's some other guys in the way. We've been talking about the guy in Milwaukee and another guy in Denver. And the guy who's injured in Philadelphia, being ahead of him, as far as that accolade of being an MVP in the league, and two of those guys have won NBA championships. It's so crazy. The players of the week this week were Giannis, one of those guys I talked about, the guy in Milwaukee, and Devin Armani Booker. You know, in a week where Luka averaged a 50-point triple-double after two games, including the 73-point game, and didn't make player of the week? Yikes. Whatever the case might be. As I said, there's a change in the guard, literally, in the NBA because you didn't see what else Stephen Curry the second, a perennial all-star starter, making the West. He just gave the Hawks 60 the other night. Maybe it's guys are circling the Hawks in their list, and DeJounte Murray was supposed to make their backcourt a better defensive backcourt. They get torched by guards. Word up to Luka and the chef. What's their focus? What do they want? What are they doing? And I'm not just talking about the Hawks. After a big victory in New York City, the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, the hashtag he who shan't be named, was quoted as saying about young players in this league, the cars, the jewelry, and all that other dumb shit don't matter. It means absolutely nothing. I can see a lot of these young kids get so unfocused about stuff that's so material. They can lose their focus, worry about the game, and everything else will take care of itself. It's the work. There are no shortcuts. There are no tricks. Guys talk about having a mama mentality think just because you're wearing Kobe's shoes, bless the dead, you become Kobe. You work like Kobe. No, it's not it. Or you have a competitive spirit, like a St. Michael Jeffrey of Wilmington, or even the hashtag, who shan't be named. No, it doesn't happen like that. You have to do the work. 
and who did the work as we switch into some women's college basketball. Go, ladies! Is Brittany Griner, BG, Fink's Mercury Center and former national champion at Baylor under Ken Mulkey, who for years had blocked this move, but Baylor was like, nah, we're going to retire her number. I don't get the beef between Ken Mulkey and Brittany Griner. I'm thinking Brittany's going to say anything and definitely won't say anything. So they're going to take that shit to the grave. I don't know why. Doesn't really matter to me, but let's talk about the Power Five. Did that rhyme? At any rate, last week, of course, the University of South Carolina was at number one. Kansas State making an appearance at number two, jumping all the way up the charts for sure. At number three, the Iowa Hawkeyes of Caitlin Clark. At number four, the Stanford Cardinal, Tara Vanderveer, Cameron Rank, Tiki Ariafin leading the charge there. And of course, NC State and Raleigh, North Carolina. But this week, some changes for sure. At number one, you're not going to move Coach Dawn and her squad out of the mix, although they will miss their big center in the middle, Camila Cardozo, who is leaving for a couple of games to support her national team in Brazil. She's going to miss the Missouri game and, and a game against the number 11 ranked UConn Huskies, who are playing well right now. So that's going to be a big one. Of course, the depth of that team is what she can lean on, and they could get trapped by the Missouri game. But if anyone can keep a team on point, is that a play on words? Because Dawn Staley was a point guard too. It's Coach Dawn Staley. At number one, the University of South Carolina Gamecocks. At number two, jumping up a spot, Caitlin Clark and the Hawkeyes. Clark had 30-10 and 10 against conference foe Maryland. And she's 66 points away from breaking the record of Kelsey Plum from the University of Washington. As the NCAA's Division I Women's College Basketball all-time leading scorer, of course, Lynette Woodard, before the NCAA took over from the AIAW, is the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball history. But shouts out to Caitlin Clark, who could possibly eclipse that record as well. And number three, NC State stepping up, doing their thing as they defeated number 24, UNC, and they have the Lou, number 16 in the country, Louisville Cardinals, coming up this week. Will they stay at number three because of the drop from Kansas State, who lost two games in a row, and they dropped out of our Power Five? We shall see. At number four, it was very tough for me to figure out these last two, but I thought that Ohio State, the Ohio State University, led by Cody McMahon, did enough on their nine-game losing strike to pop into the top five at number four. And at number five, despite the loss to Juju doing the voodoo that you do, 51 points, 11 rebounds, 4 steals against the Stanford Cardinal. They came back with a big win this week, and they would not drop that far from me. And they dropped to number 5 this week. There were so many losses below them. Some other teams I looked at moving up. Colorado could have been there, but they've been really inconsistent. You know, you saw Kansas State drop out, but they're not going to drop that far out of the mix. Losing to Oklahoma by 3 and losing to number 12, Texas. So they're still in the mix. But Stanford was at number five for me, and it's just amazing to see Juju Watkins on the number 15 University of Southern California team drop those numbers. She is a special, special player. If and when Caitlin Clark leaves, she's easily the best player in the country, no doubt. Shout out to my man Johnny Broom and the voice of God, now that James Earl Jones is no longer that guy. Maybe he's just the, the voiceover God. Although Keith David and I had an exchange on social media years ago where I said, if Morgan Freeman is the Kobe Bryant of voiceovers, is Keith David the Timothy Theodore Duncan of voiceovers? He goes, I'll take that as he should. 
But Johnny Broom didn't want to take it from Morgan Freeman in a game where Auburn faced Freeman's Ole Miss Rebels. Big fan down there in Mississippi. He's from Mississippi originally. He's a man who knows how to get things. For those who watch Shawshank Redemption, you'll understand. A man who knows how to get things, including another apology from Johnny Broom, who, when he was going for a loose ball, noticed he was being pulled by a fan. He didn't know that it was Morgan Freeman, but he swiped back, you know, natural reaction in the court, swiped his hands away from his jersey because he was about to fall into the fans, and he realized it was Morgan Freeman. He goes, what's the big movie guy? That's what young guys do today. They don't know the names. It's, it's a big movie guy. And I want to apologize to him. I just felt really bad about what happened. But I thought it was a cool moment in men's college basketball because there aren't a whole lot of great men's moments in college basketball right now. Players who stoke the imagination for fans. But let's talk about the Power Five from last week. At number one, UConn. At number two, the University of North Carolina. At number three, Purdue University. At number four, the University of Houston and number five, Tennessee, the University of Tennessee down there in Knoxville, Tennessee, or Knoxville, as they say down there. How many changes? Well, UConn, 10-game losing strike. Still at number one, Purdue on a seven-game losing strike. Although, to be clear, I moved Purdue into number two because of the loss for UNC this week, and I'll get to that in a second. But Purdue on a seven-game losing strike, including a game that I thought was a trap game for them against Northwestern where Northwestern coach Chris Collins was fined $5,000 for conduct unbecoming as he got ejected with maybe a second left in the game because of the disparity in free throw shooting between Northwestern and my man Booboey. I just like saying his name. I don't know what it is. And Purdue. Purdue shot 46 free throws. Northwestern shot eight. In an overtime game that Purdue barely won, 105 to 96, I get it. I understand. It's a little bit too much. Both teams are pretty aggressive. But hey, they made sure Purdue is at number two right now. At number three, the University of North Carolina, who dropped a game to Damon Stoudemire's Georgia Tech rambling wreck. Do they still call him that? I think so. Last second layup killed them. But in a big matchup on Tobacco Road this past weekend, the then number two UNC Tar Heels faced off against the number seven Duke Blue Devils, defeated them. That's a big deal. Armando Bicote, the big man at North Carolina, said the ACC runs through me. Okay, my guy. I get it. Okay. I like it. The, the ACC Conference Championship Tournament is going to be something to watch indeed. But at number three, UNC at number four, despite the loss to Lamont Paris' very surprising University of South Carolina Gamecocks earlier in the week, they did defeat. The University of Kentucky in a big matchup between Tennessee and Kentucky. It's a long-standing rivalry. Of course, Rick Barnes, I don't trust you, but hey, doesn't matter. Even though you were number five last week and you lost this week, you actually moved up for me this week to number four because of that big win over Kentucky and that tough loss to the unranked South Carolina Gamecocks. I didn't think the drop would be that precipitous, plus a bunch of teams right below you also lost. And at number five. The Houston Cougars, who ended up losing in their big matchup this week to number eight, Kansas, 78-65. When Houston gets in a game where there's a lot of scoring, they don't generally win. They have to have ugly games where they play a lot of defense, make guys shoot tough shots, and then they have to make tough shots on their, tough shots on their end because they don't play great offense. But who's really good at offense? Demand Wall Street. Got that ratchet. He was always going to be able to release rotation and let it go for the splash. So come back for more with our very special guest on the other side of this 
on the open run with Will Strickland. Back giving you more of what you asked for. It's the open run with Will Strickland in conversation with the great Scott Agnes. The Fieldhouse Files, the reporter for the Indiana Pacers of the National Basketball Association. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Will. Thanks for having me on. Good to meet you here. Look, man, it's the first time we've met. Hopefully, we'll chat again soon. But as I do with each and every one of my guests who comes on the podcast, if you would, please, sir, run your resume. Let the people know who you are and why you're doing what you do. (laughs) I've been on the Pacers beat for 12 years now. Um, This is primarily what I do in addition to some broadcasting on the side. Uh, with, with the high school fo- state championship stuff, with IUPUI locally, whatever else I can get my hands into. But primarily, it's all Pacers all the time for me at Fieldhouse Files. Well, you know, I, I, I intentionally wore something today. You, you talked about the Nike before we came on. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this thing because there was a rivalry. It's football week. It's Super Bowl week. It is. And, you know, the uh, Indianapolis Colts were a foiled it, on occasions to my guy from the University of Michigan, go blue all day, every day, the great Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. So, mm. you know, <laughs> I, heard, I heard that. This is what is that about? We despise him in Indy. I'm sure you do, as you as you should. It's a Peyton they- town. It's a Peyton statue. It's Peyton, all Peyton. I, I would love to see the ratings for the Manning cast, but I guarantee you it's number one. And if it's not number one, that's because it's behind his hometown in New Orleans. <laughs> well, I will tell you this. Uh, I'm a big fan of what you do there. I actually caught some of your videos before. And we talked about some of the guys you went to school with and, and just the, the richness of basketball in the Hoosier State, of course, right? And you talked about Eric Gordon. You talked about Greg Oden. You talked about Mike Conley, you know, guys like that. As we were talking about Oscar Robertson and Jerry West and the whole 55th anniversary for Adidas uh, Superstars. But like, what was it like growing up there and seeing how important basketball was to the landscape of Indianapolis, or as the young people call it, Naptown? Some of the young people call it Napganistan. I just got that one the other day. I've never heard that one. Nope. It's probably in a different part of town, Scott. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny. The Naptown part is is kind of past its prime. I still reference it sometimes. But fortunately, I think we've moved past that. Obviously, the point of the, the tagline, Naptown, is because not much is going on here. But it's oh. but it's so different than than what it was when that was, I don't know, was that the 80s, the 90s right there? Because, I mean, I, you think back to 12 years ago, Indy hosted a Super Bowl. This mm-hmm. is the primary spot for the NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. I think they've hosted five, six, seven times. Probably number one, though. The NCAA mm-hmm. are headquarters here. Uh, and then mm. coming up here soon, we'll have the NBA All-Star Weekend for the second time. So it's not like it's just the first time, but it is the first since 1985. But, Will, going back to your original question, yeah, it was a tremendous growing up uh, in this area, in particular to those players you referenced. And those were all within like a six or ten mile radius. Crazy. Like if you really wanted to, you could stretch out the full length of the state. We could go up to like Marion, right? Zach Randolph. You could go mm-hmm. down. French Lick with Larry Bird. But let's just talk during that special time period, right within like six to eight miles. It was fantastic going between those games. I had the honor of broadcasting those for my high school radio station for obviously a four year period. But um, 
You could go, I mean, you could go all, all, all over, but at Carmel, you had Josh McRoberts, at Pike, Robert Vaden, Jeff Teague, uh, Rodney Carney was over here, you know, mm -hmm. Greg Oden, Mike, Con uh, Mike Conley, Eric Gordon, um, so many guys. And that was all kind of, they were all slightly older than me, but I, that was, those are your prime years, right? In following sports and taking hold of them. I feel like you're, you're late elementary, your middle school. And that really informs what you do next and where your passions maybe lie more than anything. And for me, it was basketball. And a lot of it was a direct correlation because of those individuals and following them, broadcasting them. And then oddly enough, covering some of them in the NBA too. What was the thing that sparked that love to to broadcast and be a part of that experience as far as, as being a broadcaster? Did you play? I don't know if you played or, or you just like, hey, how can I stay connected to the game? Yeah, so I played through middle school, tried to play freshman year high school right before tryouts, got in a car wreck. So it really wouldn't made it possible. Mm -hmm. After the freshman year, I was not going to be good enough to play anyway. Let's be honest there. I probably would have made the freshman team, though. Um, it was just a, a really good high school program no, i mean there was names probably your audience wouldn't be aware of but locally guy like mr basketball that went on to play at iu but didn't have a pro career in aj ratliff for example mm. guy went to my high school that was phenomenal jason gardner you may remember mm. 1999 he was he, here locally you can feel the passion right come right. out of me went to my he high to school arizona, didn't he? we'll say that again will jason gardner went to arizona no that's exactly right yep mr well, basketball yeah. here won a state finals went to arizona uh coached locally here went back to Arizona and now is like their director of recruiting or something like that. But um, mm -hmm. for me, I have three older sisters. They all played sports all at a high level. So for me, it started out bringing a camcorder and one of those old school headphones <laughs> and mics that you have, like, you're a telemar oh, yeah, like you're a telemarketer or whatever with the two prongs in and out. <laughs> you plug that right into the uh, camcorder and I would just sit atop the press box and talk to myself for the entire game and my parents would you know be able to watch it back and things like that then get into middle school and high school and able to do more and so for me i was fortunate i knew kind of what i wanted to do going back to middle school and so i was lucky from that respect that's an amazing thing man and i appreciate your efforts for sure and you spoke about your sisters being these great athletes mm -hmm. have you caught the caitlin clark fever yet for the indiana <laughs> fever because you know they're going to draft her it only makes sense they used to have the territorial draft in the NBA back in the day. So if you played college mm -hmm. basketball like Oscar Robertson did in Cincinnati, guess who drafted him? The Cincinnati Royals. That was a thing to help to build up the NBA at the time. The WNBA seemed to be, I guess they want to do the same thing. Indiana got lucky and got the number one pick again somehow. Aaliyah Boston's there. She was working. Hey, Fever don't want to hear that. They went on a stretch when they were playing awful basketball for a five-year window, and they couldn't get the number one pick. Now they 100%. have two years in a row, and they deserved it because they've been awful. Yeah, yeah, and I think <laughs> they have a. But they, I, I like what they do in the front office there. I, I like what okay. they're doing around Aaliyah Boston. I like what they're they're going to bring Caitlin Clark in there, unless she's making more money nil money. In college, but you can make that in the NBA or WNBA as well. No? You're exactly right. That's the big misnomer. A lot of people don't understand. Like it, like it. All of a sudden, that valve shut off. It's like, no, actually, you're expanded because you, you're seen by by even more in those Iowa communities. Like you don't think they're still want to going to want to have that relationship when she's winning an Olympic gold medal for Team USA, or she's not on a Wheaties box now. Maybe she is then. Like, come on, yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, the fever here. And I'm talking just individuals fever is huge for trying to see her and, mm. and just like every little market that she or every market period 
that she goes to, it's selling out in remarkable ways. Like recently, I think it was Northwestern and then Maryland basketball. And the Maryland you're seeing, game, crowd, yeah. you're seeing yeah. crowds bigger than their men's program right now. And it's not for the teams. It's to see her and her ability because she has that Steph-like factor, not just because of the shooting aspect, but I also think you see the fierce competitor in her mm. come out. And like, she just wants to strangle you as an opponent. And, and she does. She's a cold killer out there and it's fun to watch and that's what attracts us all because you're curious about what she's going to do next i love the fact that basketball that just so happens to be played by women is drawing the kind of audiences that they are drawing it's not just the women it's like i had a conversation with dexter henry from the new york post and we were talking about how men were bringing their sons to these games and women were bringing their sons and nephews to these games and they're out there supporting and wearing the gear and everything else Sabrina Unescu and our sneaker and what's going on with All-Star Weekend. We'll get into that a little bit later as well. It's an amazing phenomenon right now. And I don't think that women's bat college basketball, in particular college basketball, has ever been this visible in the history of basketball. No, I would agree. And it's been a, a lot of fun to follow. To take it personal, I remember I went to Indiana University. Like like broadcasting and in sports, I knew I wanted to go there. That's the only place I applied, got mm. in. It was, it was my obvious choice. But uh, when I was there, well, fans had season tickets or go to games because they couldn't get tickets to the men's program. And right. that was their opportunity to walk around the venue and mm -hmm. maybe on a Sunday just to get steps in outside their home. I am not kidding you. There might be 500 fans and half of them weren't sure who was playing. They were just right. there to enjoy the environment. Um, I was fortunate to be able to call those games. Now I look and, you know, this year for the first time down at IU, which will host Iowa coming up, the game's been sold out for a couple months, but for the first time, they're selling season tickets where you have an assigned seat. It had been mm -hmm. all general admission. And that Correct. speaks to that program's uh, rise to relevancy and how they've kind of been a top 10 team, what seems like the last two, three, four years. But from a macro perspective, I, I think it's kind of twofold. One, the women's game's gotten a lot better. Mm. Uh, second of all, it's being shown more. And if you're exposed to something, you're going to like it more just because you know about it. You're aware of it. And then also, I think they've been able to benefit from the men's college game where I think it's gone severely downhill from the respect of you don't build a connection with teams anymore. They're in, mm. they're out. And it's even worse from the pro game because of the transfer portal in that a guy's going to be with you a year and he's either going to go pro or jump ship to a new situation. And the best part about a college that lives on is your affinity for the school and for those players, for that, that emotional relationship that extends beyond wins and losses. You're going to support them. you know, no matter what. And, these guys are in and out so frequently that you just don't have an, a, a love and an affinity for the group that you're like, all right, I'll just wait till next year with the girls program. Caitlin's on her fourth year. You can build yeah. that, that appreciation for her game. You saw her and can say some people can, that they knew her before anybody else, before she got right. those national TV deals, for example. And so that's another big thing that the national, the women's game has been able to capitalize on and, and good for them. I have to be honest with you, I have no, I don't want to call it love, but I have no real connection to men's college basketball. And I was a D1 player myself. I yeah. think what you said was so key is that with the transfer portal, and I'm not knocking it. If you have an opportunity to make money and go somewhere else, do your thing. Even the great Ricky Three Stacks, Rick Patino, who um, <laughs> has had his issues with the enforcement arm of the NCAA. It's, yeah. it's saying, you know, it's a couple, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's saying that, they have no stroke anymore. They don't have any real reason to exist. And you see the Big Ten and the SEC getting together and saying, hey, we need to address this thing. We see that Virginia and Tennessee are, are 
you know, suing these guys because they're trying to mess with their NIL money. I'm like, you guys are printing money and you're messing with these kids and their ability to earn. What's the issue? At a certain point, what's the relevance of the NCAA? Just look nationally at college or at the college football game right now and see these. Uh, you're you're seeing like the Boston College head coach who I guess was successful. I didn't follow though, and he says, "I'm tired of this. I'm going to the NFL not to be the head coach, but to be a defensive coordinator because mm. their things are a little bit more clear. They're laid out. I get that, and probably I would like that. I like the routine, the continuity, a, a lot more of that than the influx of. It feels like college head coaches anymore." have to be recruiters first kind of uh dad figure father figures and ego managers and brand deal organizers more than they are coaches x's and o's how you screwed up how you did so well at this like i I would if i was a head coach i think that would kill me because i would love so much about teaching the game and and seeing them go from this to this and it seems like more than anything, it's making sure recruits know what you're wearing and making sure what, like everything outside of the game. Well, I'll tell you this, that I actually don't pity the coaches in the least because while they're out, one they're at least well paid and everything else, they're very well paid. Yeah. They have TV and radio deals and streaming deals and, mm-hmm. and sneaker deals and everything else. And these kids who you earn from aren't earning anything. So that's a philosophical debate that can go on mm-hmm. ad nauseum. But in conversation with the great Scott Agnes here on the open run with Will Strickland. Scott, the Indiana Pacers, the most fun team in the league to watch. Yes or no? You could probably still put them up there. Although I will say, I think, Will, they've taken kind of a hiatus from that title, primarily because Tyrese Halliburton's dealing with a hamstring injury that anybody who has played the game knows lingers. Those things don't mm-hmm. just go away in two weeks. Those don't go away in a month. Usually you need an experience extended rather time off. And mm. that usually is not enough for all-star weekend. For example, that's like four days. And anyone that's been to all-star weekend, since we're talking about it and teasing it up, knows that those players go from one event to one media interview to one practice. Even if they don't physically do anything, they're still walking around talking, having to be on. So you're kind of an overdrive. If you're a player throughout that whole weekend, that's why I almost laughably, but understandably, LeBron quietly flew in Sunday of All-Star Weekend last year, played the first half of the, half of the game, sat out the second half, if I recall right, maybe even the third, uh, three quarters. And then before we, I even got down from our media seats at the now Delta Center to the interview room, LeBron was halfway through his post-game interview. He was taking the first charter jet out and getting the right. heck out of there. And for a guy who's done it consistently like he has for 20 years, you laugh at it, but you can also understand it, man. But uh, back to your original question, Will. Yeah, this the thing that makes this team fun is the the pace at which they play at, the joy at which they often play with, and oft, also the, the underrated factor here that I don't think Rick Carlisle gets enough credit for, not just recently, but really the last five, six, whatever years, is how much he empowers his players right now, especially Tyrese Halliburton. He's his quarterback. He's his point guard. They don't really run plays. It's so much... And this is where you do have to have an incredible brain and, and knowledge of the game. It's a lot of read and react. If I do this, you could do this. But if this covered up, let's go to this. So you do have a sequence of events, but you don't really have plays. And you really just try to capitalize off of the other team. And then you throw in a dynamic player like Obi Toppin in there to catch Ali Oops. Now you got Pascal Siakam, a, a number two guy on a team right now that has desperately needed another star, a star that they cannot get in free agency. Mm. They've become more fun, but I would say right now it's a pause because uh, Tyrese is on a minutes restriction. He's playing about 22 minutes per game, 
and he's got to watch himself because hamstring injuries are just brutal. Oh, the push is going to be real after the All-Star break. And I think they got a taste of what it would be like and what's going to be in Indianapolis with the in-season tournament. Mm-hmm. No one counted them in. They just played basketball. They got there, destroyed the Bucks, And, you know, that whole – I like that little budding rivalry between the Bucks and the Pacers mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. But to have that experience early on in the season, I think will help them All-Star weekend and what they have to do going forward because you have an experienced coach, Rick Carlisle. I call him the wizard. Right. Mm-hmm. What he did in Dallas in 2011. Amazing. Shout out to Dwayne Casey and Terry Stotts and those guys mm-hmm. on that bench. You know, Rick Carlisle had to let go of some of his old Boston ways and like being the guy that didn't really like to play young players like that. Mm-hmm. And coming to Indianapolis, he had to figure out, like, this is what I have. What am I going to do with it? And he did let let the road go a little bit and trust Tyrese to be who he is, because there's no way they don't go out there and say, uh, at the in-season tournament, hey, look, nobody expects us to be here. Let's go out and do our thing if he's not empowering somebody like Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I think even fans, though, will say they'd still like to see some of the younger guys even more more Matherin. Could you start him? He's part of your future. Uh, but again, fans we're all, will always demand a little bit more, want to see stuff that you got to recognize they're not at practice. We're not at practice. We don't get mm. to see those little details or that, that video session where a message was relayed and the player did completely the opposite so you do have Mm -hmm. to understand that um the other guy is jarris walker a lottery pick this year has not gotten a lot of playing time but if anyone's watched him in the g league with the mad ants you can see the little reasons why in particularly defensively offense he's come along a young guy yeah very young he's just 20 years old that's what people don't realize like Mm. so he would just be a sophomore in college right now like that's Mm. unbelievable i was talking with benedict math or yeah i think it was who was it I think it was Benedict the other day. I was like, you'd be a junior right now. He's right. Like, oh, yeah, that's crazy. You know, whatever. And, <laughs> and to get buy-in from these guys into a role at that age because they all believe, hey, I could be that guy. I could be a superstar. Because they have team. been at their previous right. stops. But here's the here's the deal with that is that – and I, I talked about this the other day. Like in high school, you were the man on your team. Then you mm-hmm. get to university, and everybody was the man on their team. Then you get to an NBA, and everybody's really the man on their team. So you get Tyrese Halliburton brought in from Sacramento. And that's one of the rare trades in NBA history that you can say was a win-win. I would totally agree. Yeah. Both got what they exactly needed. 100%. I I really didn't think that they were going to trade Tyrese Halliburton. though. I thought they were going to trade Davion Mitchell, to tell you the truth, back Hmm. in the day. I really thought they were going to trade Davion Mitchell, but they needed him, I guess, for defense. And Tyrese just, you could see it in him. He was going to be that guy. And if De'Aaron Fox had moved on, Maybe he's not in Indianapolis. So congratulations for getting Tyrese. But, you know, you look at what Tyrese has done. You look at what Ben Matherin is doing. And to get the buy-in from these guys, if Ben Matherin would have won sixth man of the year and rookie of the year last year, does he stay on the bench and say, you know what, this is where I made my bread and, and, and my bones in this league. I'm okay with coming off the bench and scoring 20 a night and being a guy who should be a marginal all-star and be up for awards, whatever the case might be. I don't know. It's hard to convince a guy once he starts to feel that taste of limelight. And I think Carlisle has the perfect remedy for all of that is making sure that these guys know they're all a part and all important to the team because Tyrese Halliburton is an extension of Rick. When you have these 20 assist game with no turnovers and everybody's eating, everybody's happy. They will play their roles. And that's a great way to start a foundation there in Indianapolis. Yeah, you nailed it, especially with that last part. Is That's a real appeal to other players. I think that's part of the reason Pascal is willing to come here and 
be part of the long-term success here is because you see where everybody eats with Tyrese running the show. He can be selfish and you need him to be selfish sometimes because he's, I think a top two player in clutch this year based on the, mm. what the numbers say, which is fascinating what he's been able to do. But beyond that, I mean, last year, miles Turner earned an extension that got him more money. Uh, Buddy Heal is an interesting story, but normally when he plays with Tyrese, he performs very well. Um, and you could go on down the line. Aaron Neesmith outperforming his contract. But I give Aaron way more credit than than anyone else. But he certainly benefits from having a guy like Tyrese on his team. And so uh, the hope within the Pacers is that more players are seeing exactly what you're seeing, Will, and that they're like, hey, look, I can have fun there. We can play a gr- with a group that's a lot of fun, that's unselfish, that's looking out for whatever the play is. It's not. It's structured within an element, yet at the same time, I can have the freedom to be me. And I have Tyrese who's going to get me. If I'm open, he's going to find me somehow. I don't know how he does it, but he will. That would absolutely appeal to me if I'm a free agent or a guy who's not been in a good situation or hadn't had that true point guard to play along with because so many guys don't have that superstar um, in the backcourt to kind of help set them up, help set the team up. And to finish up with Rick, what I will say about him and with this team is because they're so talented offensively and the way in which they play – most of the reasons if a guy is not playing, it's because they're not doing what's being told behind the scenes or not defending um, mm. because the, the defense is what they're asking of them, that and rebounding, because they know it doesn't matter who they throw out there offensively. Just about anyone can produce on that end of the floor. If they're not at the one end, then they can't get out in transition if they're always taking the, ba- the ball out of the rim or out of the right. net and having to inbound it and slowing it down. That's not their style. They want to get it up the floor and maximize what they do offensively. Is that going to be the thing that slows them down as we roll toward the playoffs? Mm-hmm. Is that defensively yep. they can't make enough stops, can't get enough rebounds and protect their, their glass enough against an opposing team, a Milwaukee, a Boston, a Philadelphia, someone like that. Is that going to be the thing that hinders the Pacers going into the later part of the year? Yeah, I think you nailed it. It's that playing a slower game. And also if, if they're playing out of the half court, that was something Tyrese talked about. Uh, as the team's representative in Chicago at the draft lottery is he was like, man, uh, you know, I so badly want to play in these playoffs, but I'm texting Rick and I'm texting Lloyd Pierce, who he thinks a lot of and other coaches on the staff. And is like, we got to improve what we're doing in the half court. Cause what we're doing right now would not work. And so those are the two big factors. It starts defensively because well, early in the season, I, I can't, I don't have enough adjectives to describe how bad <laughs> they were defensively. Right. Awful, pathetic, embarrassing. Now, to be fair, and it all started with a December 19th practice, but they changed philosophies somewhat defensively. A lot of what they were trying to do was eliminate three-pointers from opposing teams, and mm. how they chose to guard was kind of two-on-two within the pick-and-roll. And so if you were off ball and you were in the corner, you're not helping at all. It's on these right. two guys. That didn't work well. Right. And so they changed it, and things have worked out a lot better. I haven't looked at the – the defensive ratings or, or points per game given up recently. Uh, but as of like last week, they were down in the last like 15 games, 20 games to roughly 16, 17, 18 average. And that's perfectly fine for this team. They just cannot mm. be historically awful, which is also what they were, which is why it was a, a stark contrast to how kind of we opened, right? When you talked about this being one of the best and most fun teams to watch. Well, sure. It was offensively. It was not defensively, but it's gotten better. Well, they know they can't win a championship just scoring points. And I think Mm -hmm. Rick Carlisle is well aware of that. And I think these guys who are buying in like, okay, guys, I'm giving you the keys of the car. Are you going to put gas in it? 
but you're gonna be responsible. You're gonna yeah. get it detailed. And this part of that is sticking to the details of the defensive end, being able to communicate properly and effectively so that we can make it deep run in the East and surprise some people like they thought we were surprised in Vegas earlier in the season. So when you look at this team with Pascal Siakam coming in, I want to talk about Pascal a little bit and what you think about his long-term possibilities there being because he had said that he was not committing to any one team, going to go into free agency, which he should, and figure out what's next. But how do you think the fit has been so far? Yeah, so far, I think it's mostly been good. The hard read on all of it, of course, is that Tyrese has battled this this injury, this hamstring strain throughout the entirety. So Pascal has not gotten the full Tyrese and thus Pacers experience since mm. he joined the team. Tyrese was so eager to play with him that he returned after missing, I want to say, a week and, week and a half, maybe 11 days mm. from that hamstring, played in Portland, played 35 minutes. I have no idea how or why. And then he sat out another week and a half because of it. Um, mm. But he, he was so eager to play with Pascal and show him what Pacers basketball all, is all about. So far, I would say things are going very well just because of the player and unselfish guy that he, like, that he is. And if anything, I'd like to see him be a little bit more assertive. And, and, I, and I empathize with him, though, understanding, like, this is so tough. Not only are you thrown into a new situation in the middle of the season, uh, you're mm. starting out on the road in the middle, joining a six game road trip. Like how awkward had that had to be, right? Like you mm. he expect to be traded. Like, I think that that writing was on the wall there, but I mean, he barely has time to even settle in. They had 17 games in January, most ever in franchise history in one month, right. like unreal. And on top of that, you're trying to figure out how you fit within a playing style. And with the star out, uh, you don't want to, overextend yourself and, and make people think you're trying to do too much. Yet at the same time, there's a feeling you need to do more because Tyrese right. is out. This is in fact, why they brought him in to not only provide them another option and a, another scoring and defensive threat with Ty, but even more so when he's out. So I think it's going to get better. I, I think we've gotten a small glimpse of what he can provide. And I think both sides are definitely hoping this, this can become a marriage right now. They're engaged until right. July one. Then they're hoping to get married and make it a five-year contract moving forward, I think. Does Miles Turner accepting his place in the pecking order have any effect on what Pascal decides to do with the rest of this season and, and going into free agency in July? That's an interesting question. I'm curious what, what you exactly mean by that because Miles has never been the number two option or a top guy. He's always been – he's the he's kind of been the most loyal guy. He's the longest tenured pacer. He's been right. around since 2015. So he extends from Frank Vogel to Nate McMillan to Nate Bjorken's terrible eight months to, to, <laughs> to Rick Carlisle now. So he's right. kind of the, the lasting piece. But And you, I wouldn't even say as much he's the face of the defense anymore. For so many years he started talking about, uh, I'm defensive player of the year. I want to be defensive all-NBA. I think he's gotten mm. tired of that in, in his maturity and just realized, hey, if I perform, I'll get recognized. I probably won't get recognized anyway because it's Indiana, so we really have to go exceed even more so than any other player than in a bigger market, for example. Right. He's tried to let his his play do the talk, but um, he's, a, he's a starter and a core piece of this group, but I wouldn't call him a, a, foundi a foundational piece or anything like that with this franchise. And I guess the reason I asked that question is because he is the longest tenured guy there. Mm -hmm. And he is the centerpiece to their defense. Whatever defense, defensive philosophy you do yeah. have is based on Miles and his health and his ability to stay on the court and be an example for the younger guys, you know, the Isaiah Jacksons and people like that. But the real question I want to ask as we talk about the Indiana Pacers, okay. since you've been there your entire life, sir, <laughs> I yep. need to know who your all-time, 
starting five, Indiana Pacers are, and you can count the ABA days. I hope you would. Oh, man. <laughs> I wasn't ready for this one. Uh, <laughs> wow. You got to you gotta include many, of the, or at least I do. You have to include some of the ABA guys, and I guarantee you I'm going to leave at least a couple guys out coming off the top. No, but here's head. the thing, and you will, because there's yeah. only five spots, and even though we're positionless basketball in 2024, mm-hmm. we're doing positions for the sake of this conversation. So. Gotcha. Quick follow-up to that. Does that mean, let's say, in a hypothetical, all, or not a hypothetical, and you're all NBA, if you were voting on all NBA, would you carry that same thought? Or do you want just the top five players? Meaning, could I have five guards or five centers, or does that team actually need to be able to play? I like the fact that the team can be able to play. I'm a traditionalist in that way. Mm -hmm. But I understand that we're on the verge of having the first all-international, all-NBA team ever, if you really look at it. I mean, Luka Lamar, that's with two R's. Doncic, and you got Shea Gildish, Alexander. You got Giannis. You got Joel Honden B and then Nikola Jermaine Jokic. That's J apostrophe M A Y N E Jokic. I give all the Slavic guys middle names because they don't have middle names. So I just throw them middle names. No, that's fun. So, I, that's a good thought I hadn't considered. Is you can make a very strong argument. You're not even going on a limb here. That mm. those could be your top five. I had a hard time leaving out LeBron, but that um, that's just. And I'm sorry, sir. We we can't utilize that name on the podcast because too many people get emotional when you say that name. So I call him the hashtag He Who Shan't Be Named. Seriously? Oh, he's I kid you not. Guys, get if you could see some of these emails, LeBron's a, okay. Okay, that's how you feel. You know, hey, cool. I mean, the facts don't really care about your feelings, but hey, I got gotcha. you. I rock. So I'm just teasing about. You can say. I'm sorry. I was very say. curious how you feel about that because there's a variety of things. One thing I would like to say see is in the postseason awards there would be an offensive player of the year because mm. then we can reward someone like James Harden on his good season, but understand. Someone like LeBron, let me not use that. Someone like Steph the Curry. Hashtag you me name. <laughs> someone like Steph Curry, for example, okay. is your is is most valuable to the team's success, which is, in my opinion, what that award is. But I know voters, which I've I have been a part of in the past, is you, what are you voting on? Anyways, mm. that, that was a, a different tangent. No, no, I think you're on point when you talk about the criteria that people utilize to decide yeah. what value is, it changes with the wind. I mean, it's clear that if you talk about a guy like Nikola Jokic, you take him off the team, are they a lottery team? Absolutely not. You take Embiid off of the Sixers, are they a lottery team? Probably not. You take Giannis off the Bucks, are they a lottery team? Nope. Too many veterans, too much championship DNA. Mm-hmm. You take Wardell Stephen Curry off the Warriors, you already know the answer. <laughs> you take yeah. the hashtag, he was be named, off the Lakers. You already know the answer. Even though they're not really winning, it's funny how they play. They beat the best teams in the league, and they lose some of the worst teams in the league. It's too inconsistent. That's but. also how the Pacers have been, by the way. Yeah. They get up for the good teams, and take, they've lost to the Trail. They got swept in the season series by the Portland Trailblazers of all teams. Right. Perfect. And you can factor all, all <laughs> kinds of things, travel and back-to-backs right. and stuff like that. But the, the reality is, is that I don't know if people understand the value of value. Yeah. And Ooh, you, you look at it. A guy like Tyrese Halliburton and what he does for that team. And you talk about this, like Pascal hadn't had enough uh, of playing with him, but you can see his value. He's He had a star turn at the end season tournament. He's going to be a star during all-star weekend for sure. And does he make your all-time starting five Pacers list? I don't know at the point. Yeah. So to that question, what's very interesting here is to, you look up in the rafters at the, 
Gamebridge Fieldhouse and you see retired jerseys. But of course, those guys were well before my time, even before mm. probably good high quality video. So it's hard for me to incorporate all of those, even though I'm probably should, you know, I should do most of them or what have you from Roger Brown to Mel Daniels to George McGinnis, who unfortunately lost it. recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Reggie Miller is a clear automatic within that fold, obviously. But th- I think the first thought would be include those four Hall of Famers and then add a point guard. That would be my first thought. And many would even stay in the NBA and go uh, Freddie Lewis, who right. a lot of people have talked about. He, maybe he should be a Hall of Famer. Um, so this is where it's a little weird, right? When you don't have a full perspective on those. So uh, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll play with it's it. Your, have fun. It's your list. It's not mine. Correct. And, and for my one pick, that's going to be fun because it is my list. Mark Jackson's my point guard. Favorite okay. play, favorite pacer, because that's that's the style I like. I like the passing with a little showmanship. So for it's me, not as best is mad at you right now. I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold the shot. There's still one second on the shot clock. Then he'll fire it. No doubt. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I'm going Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller. And then I'm going to stay with those three three other ABA Hall of Famers with George McGinnis, Roger Brown, and Mel Daniels because what they were able to accomplish something uh, in winning a championship here that the NBA Pacers have not, I can't overlook that, even though I personally did not see what they were able to do. Well, we are able to see what you are doing here. Mr. Scott Agnes here on the Open Run. Will Strickland come back for more on the other side of this. You're now listening to the sounds of the open run of Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic to the speaker in conversation with the great Scott Agnes here on the open run. Sir, are you a fan of the show The Wire? Have you ever watched that show? I have not. I, I'm usually years behind most people. I still haven't seen right. Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't. I didn't get into HBO until a couple of years ago. So I'm okay. still playing catch up on all, Sopranos. Still haven't had a chance to see. So no, to answer your question. There's a character by the name Marlo Stanfield, who is the, the new drug king in the town. And he takes over this whole cooperative of drug dealers with pool their money and resources to make sure there are no wars. And he's like the eyeball who's going to come take over. Adam Silver got a seven-year, $350 million deal from the NBA to remain as commissioner. The price of the brick just went up. <laughs> That's an amazing amount of money, but he does an amazing job what he does on and off the floor, adjudicating the game and also making sure the game is a global game as it always should be. And you see that with the the amount of international players. They, I think there was a study or something that, that came up recently where one in four players in yeah. the NBA today are foreign-born players. We just talked about the all-international first all-NBA team ever that could happen this year. What do you think about the job Mr. Silver has done with the league? The only wire reference I know is because I love the meme, and then people told me what it was. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Can I Which say one? it? Yeah, go ahead. She... I have no <laughs> reference of context, but I do that. Senator Clay Davis. Yeah, no doubt. It's hilarious. No clue what it means within the context of that. But yeah, that's that's what I'm sitting back there saying. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Adam Silver just completed a decade here, and and I think the story of his present and future seems to be focused on innovation on trying new things. Some I don't like, some I'll give a chance. And uh, that's kind of how I was, quite frankly, with the in-season tournament. I didn't, uh, they're talking about beforehand, didn't okay. like it, thought it was too gimmicky. I thought it was very confusing. Not a lot of fans understood it. Then we get to it, 
and I, my, my mind changed a little bit on it. Got to get rid of those courts. My there were games I did not watch, Will, because my <laughs> because eyes of the court. Stand it. The one that right. jumped out at me was Lakers at Phoenix. Mm. I gave it about a minute, and I was like, "Holy, heck, no. I need a timeout <laughs> from TV because of this." I think they acknowledged, and I was there in Vegas as the Pacers were in that championship game. I think they acknowledged while they liked the differential courts. At the same time, maybe we can tone it back a notch and make it more visibly appealing. And we even had troubles here in Indianapolis. They rushed those courts out so much that it was slick. And so, yeah. fortunately, the Pacers had uh, their first game. I think it was in I think it was early October, and then they had about three, maybe four weeks before their next home tournament game. And so during that stretch, will they had the opportunity to ship that court over to Cincinnati a couple hours away and have it refinished? Because mm. that first game, literally the first seconds. Tyrese does not the splits like he got injured here, right? But he, yeah. he kind of one leg gave out from him. Then the next position down, he completely wiped out. And it's like, oh, this is billion dollar business. Yeah, you cannot have that. So, yeah, I, I feel like right now is a turning point for Adam Silver and and what he tries to do, uh, in particular with the media rights deal. That's what we're all watching. Why is it taking mm. so long? What's it going to look like? Um, and the number one thing among all that to me, and I feel that here, especially Will in this market, is the regional sports deal. Because this mm. Pacers team is not on national TV very often. Throw mm. out the in-season tournament where they had four consecutive games on three different networks too, by the way. Mm. They had one scheduled nationally TV game this season. That's it. Mm. They've had one for the last three years each. And so this is a team that depends and fans depend on the regional sports network. So I'm cl closely watching what the new owners are doing with uh, Ryan Smith in Utah and Matt Ishbia in Phoenix and saying, yeah. all right, we're getting rid of this regional model. We may lose money in the short term. But I sit back and say, hey, look, that short term loss is, is has a long term gain because yeah. how many Pacer fans, for example, are growing up? They're eight, 10 years old. Their parents don't have cable. They might have YouTube TV like me and cannot watch Valley Sports Indiana. Um, or maybe they don't pay for the premium option. Mm. And because of that, they don't follow this team. And instead, they're wearing the Steph Curry jersey. Or they're wearing mm. lately. Usually it's Steph Curry number one, Ja Morant number two in terms of games of interest. You could throw a who he who must not be named in there as well. <laughs> um, those fans travel everywhere. Yeah. But I, somewhat to a detriment, over the last couple decades, I think you're seeing a lot more fans, and I think this is more individualized versus sports-wise, is you lose that loyalty to your team, mm. except mm. for your university, which is another reason to my point early on, you can hammer that home, is you're not a Colts fan necessarily or a Pacers fan. You're a Peyton Manning fan, right? but you're a Travis Kelsey fan, and then you're a Patrick Mahomes fan. Like, that's what you are. You don't care about the Kansas City Chiefs outside of does Patrick Mahomes win to bring into right. the Super Bowl conversation. You like Kyle Shanahan's hats. So you're a big 49ers <laughs> fan. Right. Or, you know, Max Crosby in the right. You could go down the line, whomever. You're getting uh, rid of that. So to go back to the original point here is that's the thing they have to figure out more than anything is how can they make games more uh, and easily accessible to local fans. That's the one advantage NFL has is they have reg they have less games, they have a regular schedule, and the frequency of games is less. So every game feels like a massive event rather than, oh, it's just another game every other day. I can't watch tonight. I'll watch tomorrow night. Right, and I think you, you just hit the nail on the head in speaking about on-demand capabilities of streaming services and things of this nature that kids have access to that we didn't have access to 10, 15 years ago. Yep. So that's part of probably what's hindering the deal. 
on slowing down the deal? Because they do have to address that. Like, how do we have our young fans who are attracted to the game? I mean, you have jerk cams and all this stuff where they're talking about the fits and everything and the tunnel walks and everything. They're trying to appeal to a younger audience who are going to be the ones who make the league go forward as far as viewership and everything else. How they attract them, how they keep them there. There's a stickiness factor that they need to have. They don't always have just the games. So how do you balance the off-court stuff with the on-court product and bringing in the kind of core fans you want to make the game go forward? I think that's a big part of why it's taking so long. But, I mean, they paid them a bunch of money to do it. So That's a great yeah. point. Is As some of the things that bring fans in will also keep them away from the core product. Mm. I, I wonder how many kids nowadays, you know, let's talk your 6 to 16 are just going onto the NBA's YouTube and watching the clip of every single game that says, uh, you know, highlights from Pacers at Nuggets. And it's a 10 minute mm-hmm. clip and it's all the key highlights. Is that their new sports center? Right? Like, how many of us watch True Sports Center anymore? I don't. I used mm-hmm. to watch it morning and night and you'd go to bed with it and, yeah. and all that type of thing. But nowadays, you, if you don't get the product, you're consuming it in other ways. And yes, attention span is certainly one of those things. I'm a testament to that. I listen to podcasts all on two times speed. We're all trying mm-hmm. to maximize that. But at the same time, what I would like to see more emphasis in is the core product. And alongside with that, that's also on the, the those putting out the product. I want more mm-hmm. basketball talk. How come you t- turn into like Saturday night countdown and we're to be clear, we're recording this week of the trade deadline, but you're four months, four weeks out for the trade deadline. And instead of hyping up the matchup between the Knicks and the Celtics and why it matters and why Jalen Brunson has been so good over the last six games, let's call it. I call on the Knicks to go get this star. They're not going to be. It's like the discourse. I don't like that revolves around the the NBA. And I think the NFL has done a much better job. I look at NFL live, which I'll occasionally throw on. They're teaching Mm. the game. They're trying to help you understand the game. I look at the analysts for the NFL and they are so far and beyond what the NBA are with Mm. whomever you want to choose down the line. I'll be curious what Tom Brady looks like, but I mean, the the latest hot commodity, right? Is Greg Olson and how he's trying to teach you the game. And why should have that coach called the timeout or not challenge there? I want more of that discourse. Right, well, rather than just what's his contract look like and is he a buyout candidate? And it's so hard to get that because you'll hear guys say, you know, not to get too basketball about it. I'm like, that's your job. That's why we're here. Yeah, like, what do you mean not to get so basketball about it? How are you going to attract those fans? Oh, I'm not going to be the highest paid commentator on TV because I'm not giving you the soap opera angle of it. I'm not talking about who's pregnant and who's, no. Mm -hmm. Who got a Birkin bag, no. That's not what I do, and that's why I do what I do here uh, on the open run is that I want to talk basketball. I want to talk those things that make sense and some of the topics they bring up and ask questions that don't get asked. So it's important. I think you really have keen insight on that is that we need to focus more on the core product. And I think a way to do that, I don't think this is gimmicky with uh, Sabrina Unescu and Steph Curry doing this three-point shooting contest Mm -hmm. because I think it helps the WNBA. I think it helps a guy and Steph Curry, who's not going to be here forever. And I think we lean on some of these older guys. And we talked about the change of the guard before, but Steph Curry is an icon and the game has changed so much that the three point shooting contest has become more compelling than the dunk contest and all this other stuff they put in there. And so to see Steph say, I think I need to challenge her, not her challenge him, but he says, I need to challenge her. That speaks a lot to what the product is about. It's about for everyone. And I think that's a great thing that they're doing 
with the animations you talked about with Adam Silver. Yeah, I was a big fan back in the day when they I forget what they called it. Shooting not maybe shooting, shooting star. Was it shooting stars in terms mm. of it was a, a legend with a current NBA player and right. a WNBA player? Yeah. And for me, it makes perfect sense here, right here in Indianapolis. Mm. You'd have Tyrese Halliburton with probably Reggie Miller and Hall of Famer to make a catchings. Mm. Like that. So that was that encompasses everything that it was about with basketball, current, past, future other league, for example. So this is a small version, I think, of that. And so, yes, there's a sponsor element. I'm sure this is all because of State Farm more than anything, if we're being honest, or or some <laughs> some sponsor I'm leaving out. Of course. Uh, but the cool thing about it is, what did you ask me about earlier? Caitlin Clark. Why mm. do we think, in large part, I, I don't know her full story just yet. I'll be covering it. But I'm sure it was the Steph influence. Like all these kids, you go to a middle school or high school game, you have kids pulling for 30 feet. And most of the we time, could, no, you get not pulled a out of the game for that. And when I was playing, right, and no one would even, no one would even think to take that shot. That's right. an end of buzzer type shot. Now it's we see Tyrese Halliburton. The last shot he takes before heading in is he wants to make at least two from the logo and stepping mm -hmm. into it. These aren't heaves; these are stepping into it. If he's open, the defense is sagged off. It's a whole new game from that standpoint. So I'll be very curious how this looks. Even more so, will I'll tell you because. One of the cool things Indy is doing is making All-Star Saturday night at the stadium. Mm. Now, the purist in me hates that because I've gone to many, many college basketball games there, and it's not the same. You don't feel the same environment. And it also hurts the game in terms of um, you see scores much lower because the the, the sight lines, the shooting elements. Yeah. yeah. So think about what we're talking about here. Two pure shooters are taking on this in a stadium-like field. So I don't like that. However, the positive side here is you have three times as many people who can who can attend. So instead mm -hmm. of sixty thousand over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, now you'll probably have about sixty five thousand, and even more so. It, a lot of those tickets are just from residents in Indiana because that's one of the big themes. Even that you'll see as this uh, podcast comes out is they're really trying to involve locals and set a new standard for hosting. So there will be a tip off opening ceremonies they've never had before, uh, and a lot more. But this this thing does add a new element to All-Star Weekend. And I do like, to be clear, uh, too, in the All-Star game, how they are going back to kind of east-west, getting rid of, the, rid of the draft. Yeah. Because it was so bizarre in Salt Lake City, you'd have the draft, and then you'd have another 30 minutes because you'd have right. a performance. And guys, I forget who made this point originally. Um, maybe it was LeBron or Steph. But it was like, how can you expect us to treat it seriously when you're treating it like a concert and then we jump in and, and fill the void? It's right. like you, you got to take it seriously. So I think the all-star game and all all-star games, I turned on the pro bowl for 10 minutes. Couldn't figure out why I should care about a flag football game. And I couldn't, and I turned it off. Right. I think a lot of these leagues are having to reinvent themselves a little bit in today's age. I do like this idea. And I have a feeling that the WNBA who's having their all-star game in Phoenix will also invite the top three point shooter in the league to face off again, if, especially if Sabrina wins. <laughs> Then Steph, yeah. it's like wrestling or something. Maybe I'll just treat it like that, and it's WrestleMania again, whatever the case might be. But, you know, you look at the East with three first-timers on their roster. I think that's a great thing for Paolo Bancaro and, and guys like Jalen Brunson. And um, who's the third one? Who's the third one? new one? It's not Mitchell. Paolo um, is Paolo, Jalen Brunson, and it's not Julius Randle. I'm trying to remember who it is. You got me having a pull tip for my Oh, list. Tyrese Maxey. Oh, yeah, yeah had Max, a Tyrese backcourt, well right? Yep. You know, and it, it's funny. You look at those three first-timers, and I start thinking about this whole thing. 
in the history of the NBA, you're talking about Indiana University and the pride you have being in Bloomington and knowing the uh, late, great Robert Montgomery Knight helming over everything there and the striped pants and everything. For the first time in NBA history, we've seen seven players from the same university on the all-star rosters. The University of Kentucky has seven players in this all-star game. Did you know that? I had not. No. Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker, Tyrese Maxey, Julius Randle, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Davis. That's absurd. The absurd thing is crazy that they've only won one title under John. <laughs> right. <laughs> Since this time. There's no doubt he can recruit recruit talent, coach talent. But recently, man, they have not put it together here in recent history. Does it speak to what you said earlier about the, the, the one and done system and how you can't create continuity if every other year you have a totally different team? Right. Yeah, so I think the number one thing I was relating that to college was the basketball fa- players. Yeah, I think the number one thing I was relating it to is more like it's hard to for a fan to get a hold of a player and understand who they are and tracking their development and commitment from high school to all the way through college because they're only making it six months. Have they even unpacked their bag? But from a right. then from a coaching standpoint, I, I think more than anything, the challenges have to be with all the outside voices from individuals, probably all those elite players you're talking about. If they went back and were freshmen again, they would have an uh, NIL agent, which in large part would also be their other agent. They would have a fashion consultant. They might have a brand manager. They might have a manager. (laughs) Social media manager, everything else. Absolutely. And so I wonder how much of those outside influences and demands and how much they have to perform for other stuff takes Mm -hmm. away from maybe the basketball element. Which is the core reason you're getting all the other stuff. So you can't. As we it's say, a Pat Riley quote, right? Like, don't forget the main the thing. The main thing being the main thing at all yeah. times. Yes, sir. You're absolutely right. And was the main thing here when we deal with a guy like Trey Young, who had, I think, the fourth most votes of guards in the East, but did not make the all-star team. And he's on a bad team for sure. There are a bunch of guys on the list, Steph and the hashtag included, who don't have winning records or, or good records right now, who are in the all-star game. Right. So Trey Young is averaging 27 and 12. I think he's leading the league in the assist or right behind Halliburton, not in the all-star game. So reserves and, and deserves, the fans get the vote for the most part for the starters. Mm-hmm. When the coaches and the media are involved in the reserve process, does that take away from what this game is supposed to be about? Is it too much adjudication by guys like us in the media or the coaches? It's supposed to be a game for the fans, so let the fans vote on it. So that's interesting. Here's where I come down on that. First of all, I do understand and respect you do have to have some fan involvement. It's also a way to drive page views and keep people engaged and tweet out first returns, second returns, third returns, etc. But so much in general of the starters has just become a popularity contest. Now, it's gotten mm-hmm. better over the last years, but there were a couple of years when you – I forget who it was. I think it was Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, it was Zaza Pachulia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like number one votes in West Coast forward, West Eastern Conference forwards. And we would all accept he's not even an all-star. But he was mm. like – and so that helps weed it out. We've also seen, and you can go see because it's public, in the player vote. You cannot mm. trust a player vote. Um, there were like 11 Pacer players that received at least one vote, including like a two-way player. And an undrafted, mm. like, so that guys are wasting their votes, basically. Correct. And so I would, I would love it for it to be a primarily player vote. The trouble is they've shown we cannot trust them in the way in which they vote. So that's mm. a challenge. So that's why I do like, at least from a starting standpoint, 
they weight all the votes and try to give fans more of a say, but also understand, all right, somebody in large number could either buy followers, buy fans. We don't trust all these votes, that type of thing. Um, and so from large part, it almost would mean more for me to be a reserve player because it means mm. I have the respect of those coaches who have to game plan against me that Love they that. think I'm good enough. Now, obviously you want to be a starter and that means mm. more, but in large part, I think that would have a carry a great meaning to me because of what it means and the message behind it. You talk about the guys left out. I'm stunned and mainly because it's a top my mind. And one of them formerly played here. Sacramento Kings were just here. They're a top six team in the, in their conference. Mm. And they didn't get one. Now, the Western Conference was very difficult. I'm not sure. I, I remember a month ago doing like the given guys, like there's no brainers. And then right. there's obvious ones after that. And then there's that next group, which includes Donna Sabonis, De'Aaron Fox, that probably should be all-stars, but also where do you stop this list? And I think I got mm. to like 18. And it's like, <laughs> remember, it's a 12-man roster here. Right. So who are you cutting? And I think I ended up cutting like a, maybe one or two Minnesota Timberwolves players and go, all right, they're number one. They need at least one. I'm going with right. Anthony Edwards, but it's hard not to include Carl Anthony Towns in that. But, you know, are you going to leave one of the Kings players off? And so maybe leaning into your next question here, I would be all for why aren't the rosters expanded? You have 15 active players. You should have 15 active men on the all-star game. And if you want to do that too, I could understand if you said, okay, they are 15 guys, but now we're not replacing anybody. So right. Joel can't play, assuming Julius Randle cannot play. You're all stars. You have, you, you know, you earn that title. But because we're naming six guys originally, unless there's dire need for it, if we only have 12 guys, then we only have 12 guys, and we're not going right. to add on other guys. But that's one one change I would be for if I, I had a conversation with Adam Silver. I was about to get at you about that until you said you can't add other guys. Okay. No replacements if you go 15. I can respect that 100%. But – for the sake of conversation today, who are your seven in the East if you're selecting them and who are your seven in the West? Well, that's tricky without without having it in front of me. I'll throw out the guys who are in the East. Yeah. You got Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randle, who's not going to play, Bam Adebayo, Paolo Bancaro, and Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, some of those I, I would have hesitated to do. For like a Julius Randle, I would have struggled with that. Boncaro would have been a fringe guy for me. Trey Young is not an all-star in my mind. Too many empty stats on a bad team type guy mm -hmm. for me. I want to see you play both ends. And to be fair, my vision is probably clouded based on what I've seen when they played the Pacers. And mm -hmm. Will, they gave up 150 points in two of the games. Right. That's not basketball. <laughs> you got to play both ends of the floor. And so uh, Atlanta very much reminds me of where the Pacers were several years ago. Prime, uh, the, the analogy I use is, they were, they were expired. This is old milk. They got to right. go get something new and go to the grocery store and buy something new because this, this group's expired. Let's move on and keep it moving there. But what will be interesting is, is with Joel Embiid, who becomes a replacement player there. I was surprised another Celtics player did not get it. I really like what Derek White has done this year. Porzingis, mm. when healthy, easily an all-star. The trouble for him is health. So my biggest surprise was um, – I, I wouldn't have been in favor for it, but you could have reasonably made the case where the Celtics get five players. Drew Holiday wow. is one of my favorite favorite players. Right. Um, so I think adding one more Celtics player to the fold, and I probably would have leaned Drew just because of his his entire career and what he's done in addition to the season and what he contributes to the Celtics group. But uh, those stand out to me because I tend to reward that the top teams versus 
Well, he's the top scorer on the ninth seeded whomever. So let's use Milwaukee as an example. Mm-hmm. The second in the East, do they have more than one All Star? I don't think they have a, a second All Star. Well, starting I guess game. they do because yeah, Dame's starting. From yeah, and I, I don't think he should be starting, I but I would I, I would include him in the All Star roster for sure. But he, mm-hmm. to me, he did not have a at all a good enough first window to be a starter. But that's where that's where fan votes come in. One hundred percent. And what about in the West when you got Anthony Marshawn Davis, Quiet Anthony Leonard, Paul Anthony George, Wardell Stephen Curry, Devin Armani Booker, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards uh, in the West. Who would you lean on to take off that list and include? Well, I guess you kind of gave a hint to about the the Kings. Yeah, that would be the first thing. I'd probably do Sabonis for Towns would probably be my first direction. Because, yeah. But they're number one in the West. I know. And what did I just say? I tend to favor the teams that are crushing it at the top. No doubt. The challenge in that West is who do you take off? And that's Mm. and I like how you asked it that way. Because you cannot just argue who should be on it. Without mm-hmm. saying who should now not be on it. Otherwise, right. what is the point of that conversation? But I mean, guys like Kawhi and PG with the Clippers are finally living up to its billing. That has mm-hmm. been so much fun to watch. That not only have those guys been playing, but they have been winning. I I would have a difficult time leaving a, a, uh, Anthony Davis off there, but the Lakers oh, haven't done much. Yeah, but they're above 500. Anthony Davis played an MVP level. Yep. The noise is for years or has been that he won't play when he's hurt. He's played in most of the yep. game. I think he's missed three games this year. So to his credit, you haven't heard him say anything about it. He's just going out doing his job, being one of the best defensive players in the league, one of the top rebounds in the league, averaging right. like top 15 score in the league. Hard to argue <laughs> that, right? I, and I and say, to be clear, I think he should be an all-star, but for the sake of the conversation, I'm trying to bounce around names. And mm. I, I would choose LeBron over AD, no doubt about mm. that. So I'm trying to pull from a team that's maybe less deserving here. Is it Steph Curry? No, no. And that's the hard part because his team is not winning. His team is not winning. He put up 60 against the Hawks, coincidentally, just recently. And his team is not winning, but he's Steph Curry. And just like he who must not be named, Will. I talked about having my list and a couple no-brainers. Yeah. Yeah, Those two are right there. Yeah. Like, no, I didn't even – I wouldn't even consider that because – if you take every all 30 rosters, not one team is going to say, nah, we're good. <laughs> right. Nah, we don't need that. No matter what age these guys are. And he's healthy, so he's playing. Therefore, of course he should be out there. So, no, no that he'd be one of the last I would pull off those rosters to make room for somebody else. You don't do that. Well, what are you looking forward to most this uh, All-Star weekend? First of all, selfishly, probably how well Indiana and the city does. They I know I'm from here. I know I have a, a clear bias, but mm-hmm. um, you just uh, just looking at the, from a national perspective, Will, we saw how much the national reporters, writers, broadcasters all loved what the city did for the Super Bowl back in 2012, and I mm-hmm. expect more of the same. Um, how they're setting a new standard for the way in which things have to be run, like they 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 see it, run with it, and add to it. So that part I'm really looking forward to and seeing how the city shines. But strictly from a basketball standpoint i'm curious what lucas oil stadium looks like from basketball standpoint again not a stadium fan but i do understand the reasoning behind it and making the event more visible and possible for locals and more fans Uh, and then once we get to the all-star game i think the biggest question becomes how seriously do they take it is Mm. there any semblance of defense 
or is it threes and dunks as usual? I would guess it's a little bit better, but still it is what it is. And I think players have kind of accepted that no one wants to get hurt. They all want to get out of here on a good note. Uh, They want to, some want to shine a little bit more. And what's interesting, what is interesting to me, Will, is you even mentioned the all NBA international team. Mm. You know who, who, what guys care zero about an all-star game is those guys, right? Luca's just plodding up and down the court. He's like, if this isn't competitive, I don't want anything to do with it. Jokic, first of all, he's a big man. So big men have no, um, I have a difficult place in these all-star games where it's all about guards, but I find that to be an interesting cultural thing is why don't international players care that much about all-star weekends? It's, is it below them? The games are not based on mixtape culture. When a lot of these young kids who you see flame out, who look Mm -hmm. great in their mixtapes and they play organized basketball. Yeah. Cause in high school, you can almost do whatever you want to do in high school. When you get to the next level, it's very difficult to reenact those things or do those things again and repurpose what you did on the mixtape and put it in the uh, context of a an organized run. So mm-hmm. if those guys don't look at their lives like that because they weren't raised like that, Lucas started playing basketball professionally at 14. So he's always taking this seriously. And the skill level is different. Skill development is different. We do a thing called Full Court 21, which we were supposed to do in India in 21 when the All-Star game was supposed to be there initially. But because of COVID and everything else, I don't know if you're, you know what 21 is, obviously, playing in Indiana. Right. So we do a full court thing. We're in 40 cities on four continents around the world. was supported by the National Basketball Players Association and the Women's National Basketball Players Association. And we're going to come there and show how this is going to be done. G League teams are going to be involved, the whole nine. <laughs> but I'm figuring out if there's one thing I'm looking forward to is taking somebody's lunch money at the airport on the basketball court in the airport in Indianapolis because I think that's a great innovation. Do you want me to burst your bubble a little bit? Do it, please. First of all, it's not a court. It's basically a giant sticker. Oh. I need to put out my story about this. Yeah, it's it's a vinyl sticker. It's not a court. There's no raised floor. You can walk all over it. Oh. Secondly, secondly the rims have like cutouts on the top. So the ball can't even go through it. It's covered. It's tied down with those. They don't uh, want people to play on it. Nope. It's vi- it's all visual and and serving notice. Hey, this is Indy. You're, you've arrived here. We're home of the All-Star game. Really cool and first class. Well done. But I And I even talk to organizers. I go, I get not right now, meaning like two weeks ago, but the mm. week of, at minimum, have, have two volunteers there. And for a dollar, you can shoot one free throw or five bucks or make up a reasonable number. And you're going to get a lot of people do that. I get why for health reasons and injuries, you're not playing pickup games. Also and security out. too. Security yep, too. Yep, that's absolutely yeah. true. You don't want 300 people just randomly showing up to play basketball. But I'd be out there taking all the lunch money, Scott. And that's <laughs> a gut punch. You hit me with just now because I was expecting to go out and shoot a little bit. But yeah. don't even bring a ball the- because it's not going anywhere. Well, you've definitely given all the goods here on the podcast, sir. Please let the people know where they can find you on these rough interweb streets. I appreciate it. Yeah, you can go to fieldhousefiles.com. I have a basically a daily newsletter story posts all right there that you can subscribe to. And then also the Fieldhouse Files podcast. I'm looking forward to it, man. And, and congratulations on the All-Star game. I know you're going to have fun. And if I do come out there, we must connect. St. Elmo's, are you waiting for me? Uh, if you can get us a reservation. Listen, hey, I know some so people good. who know some people. I know yeah. some people who know some people. And we can make that happen. Yeah, St. Elmo's will be one of the top spots. Harry and Izzy's kind of the same thing. And 
there'll be plenty of restaurants, plenty of parties. It's all about figuring out the right ones and managing right. your time. I heard about this furniture store that actually serves food there. I can't remember. It's called RH or something. I can't remember the full name, but someone just told me about this. A kid who works there told me it's a furniture store. But they actually have a menu. They serve food there. I'm like, I think I know what you're talking about. It's a it's at an old mansion. Yeah. Up north. I know what you're talking about. I don't know how that works, but they're like, if you can't get into St. Elmo's, come here. I'm like, okay. I think that'd be about a 45 minute drive, if I remember correctly. So that won't be happening. I'm not sure if you're you're gonna not you the great thing about Indy for people that don't know is it's a great convention type town because Mm. hotels are within like six blocks and they're all connected basically via skywalk. So cold Mm. or wet or whatever, you can just stay inside for the most part. And it's all connected versus like I heard I wasn't able to go, but like Houston years ago, like an event would be at one side of the town and then you'd have to get in a car and go 45 minutes to the other. No, everything here will be basically within a six, seven block radius, mostly connected. So everything I'd be surprised if many minutes people, away anyway. Yeah, I'd be surprised if many people made a far drive. The one thing I would suggest to you, Will, take an Uber to Hinkle Field House. Go check out if you're a Hoosiers movie Hoosiers, fan. Of course, come on, man. If you just want to check out Butler University, I would go to Hinkle Field House if you haven't been here before. Well, I appreciate it, man, and we're looking forward to seeing you again soon. All right. Thanks, Will. It is now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank my man Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files, the Indiana Pacers beat writer, for coming on and doing his thing, spreading love. It is the Strickland way, and now... With no further ado, it's time for the news, views, and truths that you choose on the NBA and beyond. Rest and power to Detroit's finest Earl Curitan, who passed away at 66 years old. The two-time NBA champion won with the 1983 Philadelphia 76ers and won as a reserve for the 93-94 Houston Rockets. Uh, Passed away suddenly. Uh, There's no information really on what happened, but he was a good guy around the league. He was worked with the Pistons in their community relations department. So rest in power, the big Earl, Earl the Twirl, as they called him. Bon voyage to Marcus Saul, who was officially retired this year. I thought he retired a couple of years ago. I guess he's looking for a call, didn't get it. At a certain point, you're like, hey, that's it. Is he Hall of Fame bound? The one-time NBA champion and one-time defensive player of the year in 2013. That should have been the hashtags, but hey, it is what it is. Has an amazing international resume. When you think about the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. It is the Full Body of Work Hall of Fame. And Marcus Saul is on the cusp of that. But Big Spain, good luck in the next chapters. Who might not have next chapters, even though he's one of the brightest minds in the game. Ray Jean-Pierre Rondo, arrested recently in Indiana on gun and drug charges. I guess it was just weed and whatever. And he was not allowed to have a firearm due to a restraining order from a year or so ago. I don't know what that looks like for Rajon Rondo being a part of the NBA from a coaching standpoint or whatever the case might be, but it's not going to look good in the resume, champ. Shouts to the Grant Henry Hill, though, out here doing his Magic Johnson moves as he and the legendary Baltimore Oriole Cal Ripken Jr. are looking to purchase the team. I don't know who owns them. I don't know if Peter Angelo still owns them or not, but Grant Hill out here making big moves. You see he's the managing director for USA Basketball. He's part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. Ownership comes with privileges, sir, and you are privileged. Some people may argue that the privilege that Tony Snell had by playing almost 10 years in the NBA 
earning over $50 million should be enough for him to take care of his family. But Tony Snell actually needed a team to sign him to a 10-day or whatever the case might be so he can get lifetime benefits. He has two sons who are autistic or on the spectrum and Snell himself is on the spectrum. To have help in that way because it's very expensive would have helped him. But a lot of teams are looking around and how does that affect them, especially during the trade deadline, what they're doing with their rosters and getting ready for the playoffs or not, and whether draft picks by adding Snell to a 10-day Charles Barkley spoke out about it. Some active players spoke out about it, thinking that they somebody should just sign him. It's a brotherhood. But Snell was not signed before Friday. I don't know how that works out. You know, he's still wanting to get back into the NBA. But a lot of people are panning this because they see his wife doing Birkenbag challenges online on a private jet and promoting her clothing line while their children need permanent help. Now, that's not to say that she shouldn't have a life of her own, but... The optics don't look good when your priorities are about Birkin bags, which are, from my understanding, about a $5,000 investment every time you buy one. She had like 20 on the plane. I don't know. I feel like these poor kids um, should have an opportunity and hopefully somebody will figure out how to get Tony Snell his 10th year of service to the league so he can provide for his family in a way that just cash cannot. Good luck to him. Cash is what Principal Joe Dumars is going to get from Anthony Edwards, the all-star from Minnesota, who was very vocal about his issues with the referee in a recent game. As a matter of fact, he said we were playing eight on five out there. And if you do the math, eight times five is 40. You got to give up 40 beans to Joe Dumars in the NBA for talking crazy and flagrant about the referees. That won't hurt Anthony Edwards, but I hope he got his money's worth. Well, we get our money's worth as Joel Embiid will officially not be eligible to repeat as most valuable player in the NBA this year due to injury. About to get a procedure done to clean up his left meniscus. He's been injured for the past couple of seasons. You have to play a threshold of at least 65 games to reach that. He's at 34. There's no way he's going to make 65 being out for the next couple of weeks. What does that do to Philly's chances for a championship? The window is closing. Joel Embiid is not getting younger. Those injuries don't get better as you get older, no matter what the technology and medicine is today. They're going to have to take a real hard look at Joel Hans and B, his career, and next steps for him as far as rehab in the offseason. They shut him down for the year, even if they have a chance in the Eastern Conference. Shouts out to Shea Gildas Alexander, the fourth Canadian to eclipse 8,000 points in the National Basketball Association behind Stephen John Nash, Andrew Christian Wiggins, and Ulrich Alexander Fox. I would have thought that Jamal Murray would have been close, but maybe he's getting close to that. But So salute to Shea. And in the preemptive strike news of the week, the Golden State Warriors. Trade deadline approaching. No trades out there that will make them significantly better. Below 500 in 12th place in the West. Despite Steph carrying them on his back as he generally does. The front office. Shout out to Mike Dunleavy for making sure he didn't get caught up in this in one way or the other. He's putting up meat shields. One in particular, by the name of Wardell Stephen Curry, saying that we won't trade Clay Alexander Thompson or Draymond Jamal Green Sr. unless Steph okays it. Yikes. Dirty pool. It's nasty, nasty work. What is good work is that the WNBA moratorium is done and the women are signing contracts for the teams of their choosing or where they've been traded. In particular, Kia Nurse, formerly of the Seattle Storm, is now a Los Angeles Spark. Traded for a 2026 pick, the Sparks are revamping their entire lineup, their entire makeup because Neka Agumake has opted out. She's looking elsewhere. Jordan Canada traded through the Atlanta Dream, who are making big moves. 
trading her for Ari McDonald. When you look down there in Atlanta and what they're doing, 2012 MVP Tina Charles coming back, getting Ariel Powers, who's a bucket. You already have Ryan Howard trying to make some real moves down there in the ATO. Neka Gumake, president of the Women's National Basketball Players Association, could be there in New York where the offices are, playing for a team that has a chance to win the championship. What role will she play? I don't know if she'll be a starter on that team with Stewie and John Cole Jones up front. Can Neka take a back seat? My favorite player in the league, Skylar Dickens-Smith, Skylar Dickens. Traded from Phoenix to the Seattle Storm to reunite with fellow Notre Dame fighting Irish player Joel Lloyd. Maybe Neka Gumake goes there. I don't know. They'll have a, a veteran team, no doubt. But I'm looking forward to the WBA season starting May 14th, 2024. Going back to the NBA, there was the trade that I didn't know existed as I could not believe the Memphis Grizzlies going through a tough injury-riddled season with Tremendous Jamel Morant being out for the year and also Stone Cold Stephen Grizzly Adams. Can't use that name anymore because he's been traded to the Houston Rockets. For Victor Oladipo. Now, I didn't know he was still in the league. He's on a roster. They traded him. I think that's cap relief for the Memphis Grizzlies. And it also gives them an expiring in Stephen Adams. They got a bunch of picks. So it's a fair exchange. Does Stephen Adams stay in Houston as a quality backup to Apri Sengum, who is actually showing that he is Jokic light and he has his own style and way of going about things that they're making him more of a focal part of their offense? I can also see a team that needs a big man, but I can't see Houston helping them out. Him going back home to OKC and backing up Chet Holmgren because they do need some size eventually. In the grand opening, grand closing milestone of the week, Benjamin David Simmons, 10 points, 8 rebounds, 11 assists in 18 minutes. Damn near perfect games. Matter of fact, he didn't miss a shot. 5 for 5 from the field. Of course, he didn't shoot a free throw. Then the next game, he's out with the bad knee. That is the life. But let's go on to something more positive. Shouts out to the Brody. Russell Westbrook, the 28th man to ever eclipse 25,000 points in the National Basketball Association. Shouts out to you, Russell. And the Rookie of the Year watch. It's easy to talk about guys like Chet Holmgren and Victor Wembanyama, neither of which got a lot of voting for the All-Star game. Maybe I'm thinking of Yao Ming days. I'm pretty sure everyone in China was required to vote for him. It's not like Victor is an anomaly from France. There have been a bunch of French players in the league including the guy who I first saw him work out with, Booty Gobert. But Victor Wenminyama, you would think any French-speaking country would have voted him into the All-Star game. But I want to point out some other rookies who are contributing to their teams, whether the teams are winning or losing. I like what they do and what they bring to their teams. Brandon Pojemski from Golden State. They have a lot of confidence in him. He has a lot of confidence in himself, clearly, running with Steph, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, and, of course, Draymond. But he's a really solid rookie, so shouts out to Mike Dunleavy Jr. on the pickup there. Underrated pickup for sure. Cam Whitmore, a guy who could have been chosen by the L.A. Lakers. Instead, they chose a guy who does not play for them. And Hood Shafino. Hmm. That's a whiff, Rob Palenka. Because Cam Whitmore is playing like he belongs and he wants to start for the Houston Rockets or at least come off the bench. His G-League extent, he was destroying people and now he's in the NBA doing the same thing. So, shouts out to Cam Whitmore. And, of course, the number two pick in the draft, Brandon Miller. They're going to be rebuilding around you and Le Melo de France ball soon. Once they get rid of all those contracts and all those players. Has Kyle Lowry even played there yet? They even show up. Well, who did show up this week is Glenn Rivers. First game is head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And now, the all-star game head coach for the East. A lot of people don't understand the Riley rule 
and why Glenn Rivers, after one win, has been chosen or selected as the All-Star Game coach for the Eastern Conference, it's because Joe Mazzula coached the team last year. The Riley Rule, named after Pat Riley, because in the 80s, the Lakers were so dominant in the West, he coached eight or nine years at the All-Star Game. You want to give other guys a chance and opportunity, so... Generally, if you coach the year before and you still have the best record in your conference, the coach of the team with the second best record in your conference ends up getting the nod. Had he been able to last more than 43 games, Adrian Griffin would be that coach. Alas, it is Glenn Anton Rivers going there to coach as his first game and the game of the week this week on the open run. Milwaukee versus Denver didn't work out too well for the Milwaukee Bucks as Denver's gone through the Eastern Conference and destroyed the Sixers the Celtics, and the Milwaukee Bucks, the top three teams in the East. Nikola Jermaine Jokic, 25 points, 16 rebounds, 12 assists, outdueled Giannis Sina Ugo Laterrence Atentacumpo, who had 29 points and 12 rebounds. It was not enough, but the next night, they had to play in OKC, and it was really pivotal for Denver to win this game because if OKC defeated them, they would win the season series, and that could have playoff seeding implications down the line. OKC wins the game. They win the series 3-1. And OKC also had to face Minnesota, who's at the top of the conference. They have a 2-2 tie in their season series. It's going to be very interesting in the West when you see what's happening with Denver, with OKC, and with Minnesota. And between those three, having the hottest team in the league since December 1st, the LA Clippers creeping and surging right now. MVP level play from Kawhi on both ends of the floor. You're going to make for a very interesting top four in the West, at least for now. But the other game of the week, after getting blown out in Atlanta and having a lot of dismay on his heart, the hashtag you shan't be named, and the rest of the Lakers go out and they shut down the hottest team in the East in the New York Knickerbockers, led by Jalen Brunson, first time All-Star, as they won 113-105. I call that the game of the week because you have the hottest team in the East. The defense that they play, the defensive philosophy that Tom Thibodeau employs. They were without OG Ananobi for this game. They still have the DNA with those Nova boys. Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, the Michael Jordan of Delaware, the Big Ragu, and of course, Jalen Brunson. They gave them a good run, but at last, some tough stops down the stretch by the Lakers, including that guy, the old guy, Shutting down Jalen Brunson on multiple occasions on the defensive end, I enjoyed it. And hopefully you did as well as we go into the Power 10 this week. At number one, the Boston Celtics still holding down the number one spot. Shout out to Chris Lover Lover, a.k.a. Ludacris. I still don't trust him. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's Jason Tatum. Maybe it's the Duke thing for me. Hard to trust him when it counts the most. Drew Holiday is supposed to be the stabilizer there, along with Derek White. We shall see, of course... These guys have everything you want in a basketball team, but maybe they lack the testicular fortitude in Valentine to win it all. Just saying. And number two, the OKC Thunder. Talked about their week with Minnesota and Denver. Chet Holmgren has had a couple of down games as you hit that rookie wall, even though he's the best second-year, first-year player in the league. And number three, the Clippers. What a 28-8 since December 1st, including a big win over Miami in Miami recently. Yeah, they're tough right now. I have to give it up for them. At number four, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Five-game losing strike. Donovan Mitchell, another all-star. What do they do in the offseason? They don't care about that right now. They're playing a high clip. Jarrett Allen could be a guy who could have been an all-star. 
Getting Evan Mobley back was big, but just as big for me personally is the return of Darius Garland and the improved play of Isaac Okoro, a.k.a. Ice, that's what they call him out there. At number four, the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number five, the Denver Nuggets. You know, when they have that pick and roll rolling, it, it's hard to stop. You can't stop Jokic. You can't stop Jamal Murray. It's, it's wild. It's wild. But at number five, the Denver Nuggets. At number six, even though they're leading the Western Conference, the Minnesota Timberwolves, why do I have them so far down? I think the other teams are better and more consistent. And that's why they're here. But the numbers don't lie. And right now, Minnesota, despite what I feel about them, at the top of the West. At number seven, the New York Knickerbockers. Julius Randle, get back soon. Another two to three weeks, he's going to be out with that shoulder. But right now, it looks like Jalen Brunson's up to the task. And of course, those Nova boys, as I said earlier, doing their thing. At number eight, the Milwaukee Bucks. Until they show some consistency under Glenn Rivers, is what it is. They haven't found that thing yet. I think they'll find that balance into March and early April. But if they're not ready for the playoffs, it could be a problem. Especially with going all in with Dame. Could be a real problem. At number nine, the Sixers, who are destined to bounce out of this thing unless Tyrese Maxey can give you another 51-point game like he had just recently. Kid has two 50-point games this season in an elite company in Sixers history, along with Embiid, some guy named Alan Ezell Iverson, and another guy by the name of, what's his name? Oh, yes, the late, great Wilton Norman Chamberlain. And at number 10, the Sacramento Kings, quietly doing their thing. They don't have any all-stars. It's a surprise, as Scott said earlier, whether it be De'Aaron Fox or Demonis Sabonis. They're both all-star level players. Surprising they don't have that, but Right now, maybe they care about making it past the second round of the Western Conference playoffs. Before we get out of here, I said this to Scott earlier. One in four players in the NBA today are internationally born. One in particular that a lot of people believe should be an all-star, even though they didn't vote. So I don't get why you say he should be an all-star, but then don't vote him on. It's Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray seems like one of those guys that doesn't really care about that kind of stuff. He just cares about winning. And if they win another championship, that will be proven as a result. He'll be one of those underrated guys, like a Dennis Johnson type. Larry Joe Bird once called the late, great Dennis Johnson the best player he ever played with. And people wouldn't think about that until they realized that Dennis Johnson was an MVP of the 1979 NBA Finals for the then Seattle Supersonics. You might know them now as the OKC Thunder. He's one of those guys, cerebral, smart, his timely baskets. He was a better defensive player than Jamal Murray. Not that he's a slouch necessarily, but offensively, Dennis couldn't hold a candle to what Jamal Murray does, but he plays very under control like that. How that happened? How did he and Nikola Jokic form that chemistry? For those that don't know, back in 2014, they played in the Nike Hoop Summit together, coached by the great Roy Bobby Rana. And he won like four or five of those things in a row. And all you saw was NBA level pick and roll work by those two. It started when they were still in high school. There's a reason why the continuity means so much to the NBA and the age of free agency and what Jamal Murray does. So maybe his ambitions are not those that we hold for him, but in the playoffs is a bona fide and proven primetime playoff performer. Jamal Murray's ambitions get magnified in the greatest way. Does it lead to a second NBA championship? We shall soon find out. But as we do here on the podcast, do remember, until next week, do what's popular with the population. Make sure you don't get beat off the dribble. 
and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich kid, my mellow, my man, we're setting off black history a day by making sure you do what you do when you do it, sir. Easy.